This episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast is sponsored by Mr. B, the only potato chip made in the great state of West Virginia. Check out their products in your local grocery store or online at mrb.com. What's up, Mountaineer Media Podcast fans? Welcome to another week of Mountaineer Media where we try to tell authentic West Virginia stories the best we can by having on influential West Virginians. But before we get to this week's episode, we've got an exciting announcement here at Mountaineer Media. We've expanded our small business media partnerships and we've now brought on Calvin Broyles Jewelers onto our platform. Look, you're going to hear us talk a lot about their values. They are a business that has been in West Virginia since 1947, and they had founding principles to be the best jeweler in the state. They operate on deep integrity, honesty, transparency, right? Education. They understand your needs. They work with you to help you find the best piece of jewelry that you can find. I personally can vouch for this because when I was looking for an engagement ring, guess where I went? Yeah, them, Calvin Boyles, Mark, and the entire team over there do a phenomenal job. They've got offices or uh, storefronts, if you will, in South Charleston, Hayes Valley, Beckley, and you can order online at calvinboyles.com. If you go to mountaineermedia.org, which is our website, or our social media pages, I'm sure you're going to find some links and you'll get right to their website. So stay tuned for more from this. We are super pumped to have them on, and uh, maybe we'll do a podcast with them here in the next coming weeks. But welcome, Calvin. Calvin Boreal's Jewelry to Mountaineer Media Podcast. What are the hardest things to talk about in life? Well, for most of us, when it comes to things like the afterlife, your significant other, or the dollar bills we work day and night to earn, well, we shy away from those topics. They're awkward, tough to wrap our heads around, and honestly just make you cringe at the thought. So most of the time, we choose not to bring them up. But that's the exact opposite of what our guest today does. Anna Sale is the host of the popular podcast. This is Death, Sex, and Money. That's Aina from a recent episode. You can listen to Death, Sex, and Money pretty much wherever you get your podcast. In her show, if you couldn't have guessed, she talks about the hard things and answers why people can shy away from these topics. She also explains how her time growing up in West Virginia had a lot to do with what she does today. Funny enough, we found Anna because her first interview on Death, Sex, and Money was with Bill Withers, the legendary West Virginia musician. So we get into how she set that up, and it's a very cool story dating back to her days as a reporter in West Virginia. She's also an author, recently writing a book, Let's Talk About the Hard Things. We dive into that as well, so let's get to it right now with our episode with Anna Sell. Mace, hit the music. does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. All right, everybody, welcome into this edition of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Cooper Simmerman with me as always. Coop, what's going on, dude? How we doing? How we doing? Not too bad. And our guest today, Anna Sale. She's the host of the podcast, Death, Sex, and Money. She's also the author of Let's Talk About the Hard Things. So, Anna, 
why did you choose to talk about the things that nobody wants to talk about? How did you decide that that was going to be your career path forever? That's very unique. I, I, well, I didn't quite say it to myself quite that way. Um, <laughs> you know, I, it, it's sort of, I started in journalism in West Virginia when I was at West Virginia Public Radio, and I can see a really clear line to some of my earliest stories there to what I've kept doing. Um, and, and I didn't say it at the time about like, let's talk about the hard things, talk about things people don't, don't often talk about, but, um, there's a story I think of, um, early on, I interviewed this bluegrass musician named Everett Lilly, and he was from Raleigh County. He'd gone with his brother to Boston and they'd become like sort of bluegrass, big deal in bluegrass. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he'd come back home to West Virginia and he was an older man when I interviewed him. And I remember, I was really interested in like, huh, you were this big deal who like left the state, became like got a musical star and in, in your circles of music, like, why are you back home? And during the course of the interview, it became pretty clear. Um, his son had been killed in a car accident, if I'm not mistaken. And his response to that sort of emotionally was just like, I've got to go home. And he returned home and lived out the rest of his days in West Virginia. And, um, you know, and I remember making that radio story. It was like a mix of interview and then, you know, songs about, you know, there's a lot of songs about death in bluegrass music. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um, so it was sort of like, this was the stuff that, you know, I had, I grew up in Charleston, so I did not grow up like surrounded by, you know, bluegrass musicians in a holler, but I grew up appreciating that and feeling like that was part of what home sounded like. And that those were the kinds of things we could talk to each other about. And so I think that's part of where it comes from. It comes from this, this like, um, you know, growing up in a place where the idea is when you're going through something hard, tell me about it. And when I'm going something hard, I'll tell you about it. You know, mm-hmm. classic lean on me thing, you know, like, yeah, 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 um, yeah. that's, that's kind of how I think about my work. Yeah. Well, I mean, lean on me definitely. And we, I was just telling CJ, I listened to your interview with Bill Withers. I mean, what a, what a phenomenal interview you did. I mean, that was oh. probably one of the better interviews I've ever really heard of him like speaking, you know, truthfully. And I don't think anybody, or at least that I'm aware of mixed like the West Virginia aspect, kind of aspect into it. Like you did tell us about that. How did you, how'd you go about like getting Bill? Is he someone that was kind of hard to get a hold of or that once he oh, got man. on, it was really, it was really cool. I think how you opened him up and he, I, I don't know, maybe had him reflect on his past, his history, and then all the success that he's had. And again, kind of with the theme of, of talking about some of the hard stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's another magical West Virginia story. I, I actually, when I first, he was, that interview with Bill Withers was the very first episode of Death, Sex and Money mm-hmm. when our show launched in 2014. Um, I had interviewed him before in mm-hmm. West Virginia in 2000 eight when he was part of the inaugural class of the West Virginia Music Hall of Fame. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Yep. And um I remember I mean that was that was an in-person interview. You can still find it on YouTube. And mm-hmm. it was also Bill Withers being Bill Withers. Like it makes sense that someone is a good interview when they can speak in poems in songs. Right. You know, yeah. like yeah, this yeah. is it was not it wasn't much that I did. It was that he was who he was. Um, and so when I was starting 
death, sex, and money. It, like, you know, we didn't know what the show was going to be. And I was like, who, who would be a really good guest? And I was yeah. like, that Bill Withers interview had something <laughs> special. I wonder wow, if he would talk wow. to me again. Very cool. And, um, you know, how I reached out was I reached back to my friend, Michael Lipton in Charleston, West Virginia. Of and course. I was like, I was like long shot, not sure if you would feel comfortable passing on this request, but if you would, please do. (laughs) (laughs) And he did. And then it was like, didn't know where it was going to go. And then I got an email back from Bill Withers wife, Marsha Withers saying, Mr. Withers will do this with you. And I was like, um, and it was incredible. I mean, that, that was an incredible interview. I just remember, you know, hearing him talk about the guy who, who helped him with his stutter, this like small man who sort of had a curled over back uh, again in Raleigh County, I believe, who like sold him comic books and showed him what a real man was um, compared to all the bullies around him. Like what a great, just, it was just a great conversation. I feel so lucky and um, so sad that he's gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's actually funny. Uh, that that's kind of how we initially ran into you in a way that's how Uh we first found you oh that's cool it was through a a search for bill withers and it was just like okay who's you know what what has bill done in the past just like a kind of a google search and all of a sudden it was like death sex and money it's like oh okay i've heard of this yeah very cool and then it was actually your anniversary episode right after uh-huh. he had passed. And then yeah. you kind of threw it back to the initial interview and you were like, you know, being being in West Virginia, I was like, holy smokes, we need to get her on here. <laughs> this is incredible. What, oh, a, what cool. a perfect twist. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how that started. But, um, you know, get a little bit more into death, sex and money. And, you know, you've kind of discussed how your upbringing and, and the things that you did in West Virginia has ultimately uh, kind of, helped you mold to what you're doing now, you know, maybe you can even just talk about more where death, sex and money's evolved. Cause when you started in 2014, you, like you said, you didn't know and podcasts were kind of a brand new thing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden here we are in 2022, it's the thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, let's see. I mean, I think, you know, my, before podcast, I was in public radio. So for me, it's been this sort of long continuum of um, just being, sort of asking people if they would talk to me and then letting me record it. And I first did that at West Virginia public radio. Then I eventually moved to New York and was covering all kinds of stories, but mostly politics. And then wanted to get back to like, just kind of like in-depth stories about people's lives. Um, And that's what led me to pitch death, sex and money. And kind of from the earliest days, it was like, you know, I'm interested in making a show where, um, you know, we wanted to put on an even even playing field, people who were famous and people who weren't famous and Mm -hmm. kind of bring um, the same level of attention, curiosity and dignity to each each of those kinds of conversations. Um, And and that was sort of the plan in 2014. And then we just keep doing variations on that theme. Um, because when you have a, when you have a frame that's as broad as death, sex, and money, mm-hmm. there's a lot that that contains, right. you know, <laughs> so, three big ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure. So sometimes it's more literal, you know, we just did an episode about, um, sort of 
different ways people have made sense of kind of divorce in your family history, like inheriting divorce, like whether you're a child of divorce or, you know, you're divorced yourself, like all the ways that divorce can, can kind of be understood by lots of different family members. Um, or we do things that are a little less, you know, obviously death, sex and money, you know, we did, um, an episode, I mean, we're working on an episode, right now, this is very actually quite literally about sex, but we're working on a series of episodes about the 25th anniversary of Viagra and all the ways that that kind of like, you know, had this, was this shock to the system and how we talked about what intimacy ought to look like, how you can fix it or not fix it or wow. what's right, yeah. what's wrong. Definitely. Um, and, and that's, that's fun. And then it's also, then you can get into like policy stuff and look at like student loan policy and higher ed mm-hmm. and, and, you know, scratch the itch of my former political reporter self. So um, it's, it's just that what's, what's cool about podcasting that is very different from when I started out in radio is like, if you can make the argument to a set of listeners that like, you ought to just press play because mm-hmm. you like how you, you like what is created in this little clubhouse of this particular podcast, you know, then you have this really wide reign creatively of how, how, like how much you can do, you know, and you can explore, yeah. yeah. Cause it doesn't, you know, the, the trick with podcasts, as you all know, is like every episode you have to make an argument for someone's time because mm-hmm. I'm competing with every other podcast. I'm competing with, um, YouTube I'm competing yeah, with, Netflix, yeah, sure. you know, whatever, like, so, um, but once you can make that argument, if people are like, I like what happens when I come to the clubhouse that Anna and her team make, you know, then they'll just keep coming and be like, oh, that's interesting. Didn't expect that to be an interesting episode. You know, yeah. so it's, it's really fun. Cooper, breaking news. Mr. B was named the best West Virginia made food product. I know you, big potato chip guy. So this was like, uh, this, this certainly was something that you were paying attention to does not surprise me one bit. Mr. B chips is the only chip that I actually consume. So it's a delicious chip and I will- Oh, no way. I, I was no, voted. There's no way that that's the only potato chip that it you- It is. I'm a loyal fan <laughs> of Mr. B because of the incredible entrepreneurship, philanthropy efforts from Marianne Kettleson, the CEO of Mr. B chips. And it's a, look, she makes an incredible chip. Why not make it exclusive to my diet to have uh, Mr. B chips? You know what though? I can picture you sitting down at a restaurant and like the sandwich comes out and then they're like do you like chips or fries and you're like pass i've got my own and then you just bust open (laughs) (laughs) potato chips and just use that instead but it is pretty incredible they've got all these different flavors original sour cream and onion barbecue honey barbecue dip style cheddar sour cream jalapeno salt and vinegar they even get the potato stick style like the thin little potato chip styles do you have like a favorite that you go to i would say barbecue honey barbecue but uh what what about you do you have a favorite barbecue is a staple definitely but you can't really miss with the original if you're at a barbecue if you're at a cookout if you're playing golf i will throw those in my bag uh they're guaranteed to be people's uh, favorite little chip little uh snack that they have so i'm more of a classics i like to play the classics barbecue and original yeah, I, I like I, I really cannot just get into like the all the other little flavors like I, I don't know like jalapeno man I, I don't know I'm, I'm still working my taste buds but Mr. B definitely a great product so 
I, you know, we'll, it, I'll be willing to give it a try, I guess. MrB.com, Marion Kettleson. She's an incredible lady. They make the Mountaineer Media Podcast possible. Thank you to them. Support them. They're a West Virginia company. And go to MrB.com and show your love to them as well. It's sort of, I would say that's what we did with, with Mountaineer Media is that, you know, it's under the framework of West Virginia, but we've, we've talked about mental health. We've talked about, you know, the drug epidemic. We've talked about small business, entrepreneurship, Emily Calandrelli talking about NASA, Homer Hickam, like you can, science. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. West Virginia is the vehicle to talk about, you know, a wide number of things. Um, But I wanted to get your opinion on something like if you think and hear me, hear me out, if this theory is you would agree with it, is that West Virginians and we've been fortunate to have, you know, like Brad, you know, Brad Smith, John Chambers, people that are at the top of not just of like West Virginia business, but like of American business. Right. And hearing their conversations and hearing them reflect about West Virginia and leadership and, and communication and whatnot. I tend to find it, it this common theme that people from West Virginia find themselves in managerial positions or leadership positions because we are a culture of communication, of values, of strong ethics. And ironically, that actually plays well in a very tech AI driven world is that you need people with strong values, ethics, morals to run these automated tech driven systems. If not, you're at risk of them, you know, those things just becoming a life of their own and corrupt and whatnot. So you need actual humans Mm -hmm. to run those things with you with hard conversations do you find that maybe because if you're a West Virginian you live in a paradox we live in a world of and we're from Charleston too so glad we were both all three from Charleston County yep yep like if you're from here you can be like well nobody's going to talk about Capitol Street or you know shit on West Virginia or say bad things about it but in that same vein like in that same thing or even talk bad about coal mining right my grandparents I've spoken about on here or great grandparents were all coal miners right now I can be prideful of my coal mining heritage but also be like well it's probably fucking pretty bad for the environment and it's it's probably pretty miserable when you're 33 and you your back hurts and you can't walk. But but it, but at the same time, it's like I can be prideful of my coal mining heritage. So I think West Virginians we constantly live in a like a, a tug of war between pride, West Virginia, it's almost heaven, you know, it's the best place in the world, versus like okay, bad jobs, you know, certainly or maybe unhealthy whatever report comes out or whatever. Do you find, or maybe have you reflected, think maybe that's why you, you're kind of comfortable having complex conversations or tough conversations because you kind of grown up in a world where you can you can see two sides of things? I think that's a really interesting point. And I and I think, yes, I, I've thought about that a lot. Like every West Virginian knows, you know, there's you can choose to wake up in the morning and buy into the negative ideas about where we live or where we come from and what its future prospects are. And you can choose to like go hard that way, or you Mm -hmm. can choose to to go hard and the like, you know, we're West Virginians, the rest of these people outside these borders, like we know they're coming for us, but we, (laughs) we might not all agree, but we all have this common chip on our shoulder. So Mm -hmm. watch out, you know, we're going to take care of each other. And I certainly like uh, have, historically um, leaned to the latter of just the like, I get it. I get what it feels like when people are are not just coming for you, but also when they're dismissive of you or when they, um, you know, the dismissive of you just like drives me mad. Definitely. Um, Because, you know, it's about like 
will like it's it's there's the arrogance for mm-hmm. people who are um, outside of a place like West Virginia to presume that they know what is best for West Virginians and West Virginians if they only knew what the people outside West right. Virginia have been figured out all would be right that arrogance really bothers me mm-hmm. so I I feel like that sense of what you were saying like that ability to, to be a leader is the ability to hold a lot of things all at once and still say, there's some bad stuff going on over here. There's some great encouraging things going on over here. And we're, I'm gonna create a sort of vision for all of us to sort of find a sense of belonging and common purpose. Um, that's what leadership is. It's like, mm-hmm. you're never gonna lead an organization that's got all, you know, got no problems. And, and sure. so I would say though, something I, have, have, um, I personally did not feel like I, uh, had growing up in West Virginia and what I've tried to like challenge myself now I'm 41. So challenge myself in, in my adulthood is to like, um, I, I didn't grow up with a culture of risk-taking. Um, and I have thought a lot about, is that because of my particular family? Is that because of, um, sort of a sense of, uh, you know, kind of like be happy with what you got in West mm-hmm. Virginia, mm-hmm. Um, protect what you have and don't get too uppity about it. Um, I'm not sure. I, I don't think it's all like a, a, a macro cultural thing. I think also, you know, my particular family is a little risk averse, but I've, I've had to um, sort of train myself to um, think try to think boldly as an entrepreneur, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I see that in West Virginia and I see people doing stuff that I'm like, oh, they're breaking a mold. And they're like, they're going forth like, you know, hard on that. I feel so encouraged and excited because that's not something that I thought of as a possibility for myself in West Virginia. Do you have a moment in your life where you felt like you took a major risk that's paid off not to put you on the spot here, but even professionally, (laughs) it was very uncomfortable for me. (laughs) (laughs) So it only makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my, um, you know, I had the great fortune of being trained as a journalist at West Virginia public radio. And one of the great things about working at West Virginia public radio is you are a state employee with state benefits, um, with, you know, potential to vest in a retirement program. I was like, 24, you know, like that's crazy. Um, and so the, like the idea of like, Oh, well, you've got a job with benefits. You could be set for the rest of your life. If, if this is the container that you wanted to keep working in, like that became like the idea of walking away from that. I was very Mm -hmm. aware of that risk. Um, and I, I, I actually left West Virginia public radio for a different public radio job. Um, and the bigger risk was I left that job uh, to move to New York City without a job um, mm. in 2009. Wow. So this is like, wow, wow, wow. like not only is the whole world economy in free fall, but so is the journalism, like journalism industry within, together. Yeah. Yeah. Layoffs all over the place. And, um, and I went and I, and, and everything else that's happened in my career never would have happened if I hadn't shown up in New York. Um, and I say that not because you have to go to New York for your dreams to come true, but for me, um, I was, it, it like, it made me sort of take a job I otherwise wouldn't have taken. And I met all these people who've now become incredible collaborators and friends and people who taught me a lot of things. Um, and then I was uh, working at WNYC, which is where I still work. Um, when 
they sort of were like, huh, seems to be that like podcasts could be a thing. Yeah, Anybody like have an sudden, idea for yeah, one of those, yeah, yeah. you know? And I was like, I have an idea, you know? Yeah. Um, well, and so that that is all because I I took that leap and it was, you know, anytime you take a risk, it's like, it requires saying, I'm just going to trust that like out beyond those 50 feet in front of me where I can see, I'm going to trust yeah. that there's going to be something better than I can imagine. And a hundred percent, like a zillion percent, it's better than I ever could have imagined. My fear brain couldn't anticipate what could be possible, but it was very uncomfortable. All right, TJ, you just fired up the grill. You've got some chicken on there. You've got some burgers on there. What are you adding to add some extra flair? Oh, dude, I'm going with Ray's Rub 11 out of 10 times. Ray's Rub is a West Virginia all-purpose seasoning. You can throw it on chicken, steak, burgers, veggies, whatever you want. And they've got 21 mouth-watering herbs and spices. So KFC, get that, that secret blend of 11 herbs and spices out of here, dude. 21 herbs and spices packed in this great bottle of Ray's Rub. Cooper, where can people go get Ray's Rub? Two places, CJ. They can go to raiserub.com, get themselves free shipping. They can also go to Amazon and order it and be at your house in two days. It's a West Virginia all-purpose seasoning. It's delicious. We had Brody on the podcast. He's carrying on his father's legacy by promoting Ray's Rub. It's great. Give it a try right now. I do think that is probably, you know, there probably is a certain element of that being ingrained in the culture of like, of a small town mindset. And you can see where that would, you know, trickle over because it probably roots in practicality that, yeah. sorry, sorry, my little dogs wanted back here. Oh, um, right. You know, it probably roots in practicality because probably, you know, throughout time, it probably was not to your advantage to probably try to do something different than what your family did, than what your town did to get a job somewhere else was too risky, right? Or either work in the coal mine, do the family store. It probably was the odds were in your favor of living a productive financially probably good life is if you didn't do that and i think that kind of over time of course societies change business change industries change but i think you can still spot that you know if there is like existent west virginia that sort of like well like maybe even just like your buddy's giving you a hard time for doing something different. Like I'm very similar. I, I said, you know what, I'm young. I moved to DC right out of college. I didn't know a single person I took a job in financial services where your income was heavily based on what, what you could produce, but I couldn't credit that enough to maybe even make me more reflective of West Virginia and of myself that you kind of have to maybe have a little bit of escape velocity and get out to almost either come back, appreciate, or kind of grow sometimes. Um, I think in West Virginia culture and the people that I speak to often share that sentiment that that doesn't mean you can't come back or you don't want, you don't love it as much, but maybe just stepping outside of that world helps you kind of see who you are maybe. Yeah. And then you realize, Oh, there's trade-offs that come, you know, from like, ambitiously pursuing a capitalist vision of success. The trade-offs that are, what I've personally felt is like, it's, you know, I'm, I've been away from West Virginia for a very long time. And I, mm -hmm. I do not feel that sense of community and home mm -hmm. have not, like I've continued my entire adult life. The project has been, how do I build that, that sense of like stepping out and I don't know you, but I know you and we belong here together. Like I haven't had that anywhere else. Yeah. Well, West Virginia, you might leave West Virginia, but there's always a slice of it that's still with you. So oh, yeah. you just carry it everywhere else. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, maybe going back to the, the professional world too. So you, you go to New York, you don't have a job, and then you somehow climb this ladder to the most popular public radio station in the country. 
um, with WNYC. And, and so how did you even get to the, that point? Cause I'm sure that there are some young aspiring journalists listening to this episode thinking like, okay, maybe Anna can give me some tips here. You know, uh, well, what is it about that, that know, kind of ambition that you had there that took you to that level? I, I mean, an, a really important thing that I really noticed is like, I, I made really great radio with my colleagues at West Virginia public broadcasting. Like yeah. it was it was, and I was trained there and they taught me how to do it. I had incredible editors. Um, the stories we got to cover were complicated, um, hard, like SEC filings for, I was at Western Public Radio um, during the Sago mine disaster. And, and um, I had left by the time Upper Big Branch happened, but I, you know, I had to learn about, you know, coal mine safety and learn how to, you know, find who were these like New Yorkers who, owned these companies and how do I track, you know, all this stuff and, and then connect that to tape of somebody who's just lost a family member. Um, Like it was, it was hard journalism and it was meaningful journalism. And they taught me how to do that at West Virginia public radio. When I got to New York, um, something that you might notice if you ever moved to New York, it's can feel like whatever you've done before you were in New York doesn't count. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you and you have to do it all over again to show them that you can do it. So that is sort of how it felt. It felt like I had this like burning. My biggest fear was like, how do I make these people see the, the, the talent and potential I have? Yeah. Like, I just need to get in front of them. Yep. And so, um, you know, this is this is an old trick in the public radio field. One way you can start is you volunteer to do pledge drive shifts <laughs> and you, which is like, you know, a couple of times a year when they go on the air and they ask for money, like it's all live and you're talking directly to listeners and you know, it's they'll let anybody do it. Cause nobody likes to do it. Yeah, 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 and, and, you know, <laughs> and you get your foot in the two. And then I can remember, I did that at WNYC before I was ever on the air and other, any other way. And like bosses were like, who's that? She sounds good. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm like, I've been doing this. I know yeah, what I'm yeah. doing. You hint, know? Hint, and wink, so, wink. so it's, just, <laughs> it's just those little, like what I did was I just like, you know, you try to meet as many people in the building who might let you do something and then you do it. And then you yeah. ask them if they'll let you do something else. And you slowly build, um, build people who, who trust you and trust yeah. that you can make good work um, and make them look good. Like that's the whole, yeah. that's the whole trick of succeeding in a workplace, like making your bosses realize you make them look. Exactly. It's exactly. Was that book, The Laws of Power or something? The <laughs> yeah. Robert Greene. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but I, but it's just, it's, you just have to try. It's that, it's that, you know, and I, I really benefited from re- reminding myself that I was a reporter and, and like that networking that can sound really like kind of, um, I don't know, like mercenary or something, but I just would remind myself that like reporting, what I'm doing is reporting about how this workplace Mm -hmm. works, where I'm trying to, you know, get this person to introduce me to this person. So I do it in the same way that I do when I'm reporting a story. So that those kinds of things helped. And as someone who asks people, like your whole podcast right, is premised on talking about the hard stuff, what are do you? What are some maybe tips for people that have hard conversations? Like I always find if I have a if I want to have a conversation with somebody that I know might be a little bit challenging or awkward, instead of just 
boom, going right to it. Mm-hmm. I say, hey, can we talk about, you know, some sort of like something that we agree on or like the principles of this situation? Or, hey, can I ask you, like, can I ask you a hard question or can we dive into this? Almost like setting the stage of like, hey, I'm going to remove this from me personally. Let's set it up here on the table and let's both of us look at it together. That way we can solve this issue, right? That's a technique that I've just kind of picked up and learned on how to, usually with business or entrepreneurship kind of thing. But have you found anything similar in that in that vein? Are there ways that you find you can get people to open up in conversations? Or if this is somebody listening, they're like they've been putting off a hard conversation with their spouse about debt, sex, or money. Like, how do you how do you even go about that? Yeah, I, I think what you said is that's that's the first thing I always say to people is like pay attention to how and when you're bringing it up. Um, and you probably you know, for somebody who has worked in financial services, you know, there's a certain environment where people are more likely to feel comfortable telling you all their business about their money than Mm -hmm. not, you know, you, Mm -hmm. you are very careful with the context. So, um, you know, that's, and when I'm an interviewer, when I'm going on interviewing somebody, I, I, I begin by saying, this is what we're doing here. You know, I'm, I might ask you about some things in your life. Um, that are personal. The reason I'm doing that is because our show is about the things that all of us go through. And so, you know, you might make, be making somebody feel less alone. If I ask you anything that you don't want to talk about on a public podcast, just say, you don't want to talk about that. We'll move to the next thing. So I sort of like, you know, this is, these are the, the rules of engagement. This is the environment. This is how I work. This is how the show works. Um, and this is why I'm going to be asking you questions that are out of the ordinary just sort of like make sure they're clear so they don't feel surprised or, um, you know, interrogated uh, in a way that feels uncomfortable. I mean, there's certainly, there's other kind of journalistic interviews where that's hundred percent appropriate, but that's not the type of interview that I often do. Um, And, and I think the other thing with any, like having a hard conversation is um, I think there's real work. in even before that step of like flagging that you want to have the conversation, it's like, identifying like, what is this feeling I have? Is this something I need to talk to this, this person about? Like, is this like, say I'm having an issue with my spouse. Is this an issue that I need to bring to my spouse? Or is this an issue? Maybe first I could talk to a friend of mine about and like sort of sort through together. And then like, do I want to bring it? Like, so it's thinking through, you know, what, what do I hope a hard conversation is going to achieve? Do I need to feel understood and like I need to vent about something? Am I trying to solve a problem? Do I, am I looking for information that I don't have? Like a hard conversation, maybe with a, with an aging parent, you know, if you feel like you don't, you're not sure they're prepared and you don't feel like you have adequate information about, you know, however, however they're thinking about aging. Um, um, So I think it's that, that first, you know, what's this feeling? Why do I feel unsettled? you know, if I need to have a conversation where who's the person I want to start with. And sometimes reflection first. Yeah. yeah, The self-reflection. And like, when you do that first circle of like going to like, you know, I think about going to my sisters or going to friends first, it like helps you practice or go to your therapist um, practice. And then you can be more clear about what it is you want to express to the person where the stakes are highest, you know? And then if they respond in a way, that's like not how you hoped they'd respond you can have a little bit more distance to be like, okay, that's where you are right now. You know, I'll take responsibility for the parts that are my responsibility, but some of that's on you, you know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. You kind of sort through what, what's on you and what's on them maybe and whatnot. So for for you that has spent 
the last several years in your professional career talking about the hard things? Do you find that people try and talk to you about hard things or do you, are there things that like make you cringeworthy almost? You're like, yeah, I don't really want to talk about that. <laughs> we can, we can move on from that one. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's generally lovely when, when people feel like they want to tell me something like, like the, the, it's just such a testament to the meaning of what we make as a show. Like if somebody realizes that I work on deck, sex and money, you know, at a wedding or something. And somebody's like, Oh my gosh, I listened to your show all mm-hmm. when I was going through X and they want to tell you about it. Like that is like, there's no higher compliment than like, you were my, you were along with me when I was going yeah. through something hard. No doubt. Um, but uh, that does not mean I always like to talk about hard things at all times. You know, <laughs> I, I really benefit now in my life. I've got two little kids, got a five-year-old mm-hmm. and a three-year-old. And like, I work till three o'clock Pacific time. I do pickup. We go to playground. We like, you know, we talk about hard, hard things for three and five-year-olds, but we don't talk about, you know, <laughs> death and money on the playground. <laughs> yeah. I can't even imagine that's got to be a, a very interesting dinner table especially like in the next couple of years, like the, the conversations just to be a fly on the wall in the sale household. Will oh be man, interesting. my <laughs> daughter, sure. June, like just to realize that she knows my show is called death, sex and money. I'm just like, yeah, they're, what it- <laughs> they're growing up faster than most <laughs> other kids just because of what you do. It's probably healthy. It probably gets them used to it. I know, you know, it's a communication. Like, you know, we don't, we, you know, we talk about adult things on, on age appropriate levels with, you, the, you know, but it's important. They know that hard things exist and you can rely on people that you love to get through them. CJ, if you were going to look for a job in West Virginia, what website would you go to? Um, I ca- I've got a guess. Are you going to tell me what website I should go to? If I was looking for a job, CJ, you know what <laughs> I would do? I would go to beamountaineer.com. That's beamountaineer.com. And at that website, CJ, you're going to find Mountaineer Employment Solutions. Won't you tell our listeners about Mountaineer Employment Solutions? I was qu- going to say beamountaineer.com. That was my answer, Cooper, Boom. to answer your first question. That was going to be my answer. But yeah, there's no doubt. Mountaineer Employment Solutions, if you are looking for a job in the state of West Virginia, that has got to be your first and only stop. It probably will be your only stop if it's your first stop because these guys are the premier talent acquisition and staffing leader in the state of West Virginia. They serve businesses and job seekers across the state and beyond from their offices in Charleston and Morgantown. So if you're looking for a job, they can hook you up. If you are looking, if you're a business and you need some extra employees, they can help you out with staffing as well. So dude, it's a one-stop shop. If you need help or if you're looking for a job, boom, beamountaineer.com. Go to those guys, Cooper. Is podcasting therapeutic for you, Anna? Is it therapeutic? I think so. It can be. Um, you know, I I am fed by doing what we're doing, which is like I'm fed by that feeling of when you like click in with somebody else and you feel mm-hmm. like you're like you're connecting and mate the best is like you're interviewing somebody and you can feel them feeling heard um, mm-hmm. in a way that they maybe haven't felt in a long time. Um, so that feels great. Uh, I do find, um, zoom podcasting, the like big red button at the end, after you've had this like really great, like human interaction. And then you're like, 
and yeah. and then you're alone in your room it's yeah. just like it's yeah. like kind of deflating yeah. or if you cut <laughs> them off you cut them off too early and you're like oh see you bye it's like, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's weird so yeah. that part is that part can sometimes even underscore the the isolation you know in sure. a way that's um that you just have to like then you just got to go for a walk go to the playground mm-hmm. etc yeah the part that trips me up is at the beginning when it's like, this meeting is being recorded. It's like, okay, I know, so in case yeah, anybody did not know, <laughs> we were recording. Just make sure everybody knows. So, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I, well, to answer my question, I mean, I'll answer my, I think it is because I mean, like, and maybe I, that's just me needing therapy, but like, I, I, I agree that like, I find it rewarding because I do think podcasting where any other form of media, I, it's different and unique. That's why obviously the last 10 years we've seen an explosion of it because I think so much of our media, we've condensed everything. Everything is short. Everything is quick bursts. Everything's headlines. And it's like, I think people find it quite refreshing to be able to just slow down and have a long form conversation like humans where we've naturally been doing for all of time right Mm -hmm. so i think we're almost reverting back to like a modern technique of just hey if we're if we were sitting around a campfire right now this is the hour and a long conversation that we would have together and we'd probably come to realize that we're probably much more in common than we maybe previously thought right because Mm -hmm. i don't just judge anna on a quick tweet if i just say hey let me just talk to her for an hour i'm probably going to get to know her a hell of a lot better no surprise than if i just saw a snippet of over reaction that she had about a different event that I didn't have the full context of. And then all of a sudden I'm judging her on that. So it's like, I think it's deeply rewarding, honestly, to be able to you know communicate with people in this manner as best you can, as we can with Zoom. But at the same time, especially about West Virginia, because West Virginia is tough to kind of boil your thoughts down in one clean sentence. You mm-hmm. kind of need, you kind of need the time and space to unpack everything, if you will. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also it's cool to like, reminded that West Virginia is a state of mind, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like zoom lets you sort of be like, we're in West Virginia right now. Right. Like, right yeah. Here. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. That's a weird way to put it, but interesting. Yeah. Interesting. You can, yeah. The ambiance. We had yeah. a guy that a chef that talks about the ambiance of the restaurant. The oh. ambiance of this zoom. Yeah. Ten, ten, and if you come back to Charleston, 1010 bridge, this guy, chef Paul Smith. Bridge ten, ten. A, yeah, yeah, oh, bridge yeah. Tintin. Is it that way? Yeah, um, yeah. Phenomenal I chef. I was just in town for Chef's Challenge, the Covenant House Gala. I think he was there. Could that be right? For sure. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Likely. He's the yeah. guy yeah. in Charleston now, as far as me. Yeah. That's cool. A, so, what were you doing here in Charleston again? I was emceeing the um, Chef's Challenge fundraising gala for Covenant House, which gotcha. is, um, you know, the, the wonderful. Yes. Uh, I think it's the 40th anniversary social service agency there on Shrewsbury Street. So, I was very glad to be there. Very cool. That's How often awesome. do you make it back? Do you make it back to some bit or? You know, I had that time I was shocked. It was the longest I'd been away, um, partially because of pandemic and partially because of little kids. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I love coming back. I have mm-hmm. a lot of like such, you know, cause I spent, you know, it reminds me of, I have all these high school friends there growing up there, elementary school, junior high, high school. But then I spent, um, I think it was, like five or six years after college back in Charleston. So, you know, I okay. connected to this like incredible time of young adulthood and like learning how to live in, to live in an apartment, you know, like yeah, all sure. the things, yeah. you know, oh, so such a wonderful times of my life. Um, that's funny. It's like, there. 
that's where I'm at in my life. I think Cooper is too, you know, uh-huh. we're the, the young adult learning to live on your own stage. So yeah. that's uh, very cool. Very cool. cool. Well, if you have um, any money questions, we can do it. We could just dive in. Actually, <laughs> welcome to death, sex and money with in a sale. <laughs> Let's just turn this into a new episode. You can just cut that for your next one. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, I'll be honest. Yeah. Growing up as a millennial, not so I'm, I'm a reporter here in Charleston, West Virginia, uh-huh. WCHS 8. Um, oh, I, I didn't realize that. Cool. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. We should do more pleasantries, Cooper, uh-huh. we, just to give people a heads Jump up. Around. Yeah, 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 exactly. But um, so, yeah, I mean, honestly, being in the media, you don't make a ton of money as a young mm-hmm. reporter. So whatever it is. Uh, so, yeah, there are definitely some learning curves of being able to figuring out how to live on your own on a budget <laughs> that I did not previously have to experience. So. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, I like the, the, you know, the reality of being a journalist that works for a New York based big media company, the mm-hmm. financial reality versus like somebody who worked for the Gazette when I was coming up or somebody who worked for the Gazette mail now, um, mm-hmm. or public radio, like, it's just, it's a, it's almost as if it's completely different universes, even though, you know, we do the same work and, and one thing that I do find really um, it's important to me and I find very heartening is things like um, the Mountain State Spotlight and, and like the, the sort of experimentation with different funding models for local news. Um, and because I think, and, and relying on members, readers to be members and, and, and along with philanthropy, like, because they're just you need more money coming in to be able mm-hmm. to like keep talented journalists employed. Like um, you get, you, you deserve to make money. That's going to make you feel like you can um, really sort of like feel stable and build a career. And like, I, I think that can, there's a lot of work to do to be, to figure out how to make that model work better. And it could be that like, it's not just maybe it's like creating a side business where you're hosting a podcast and then you sell ads on that podcast. And then hey, you have another, you know what I mean? Welcome like, to Mountaineer oh, Media. Did you, yeah. did you read the side hustle <laughs> where we sell advertisements? To, to you know, a store business plan I think it's really smart because, and I don't even think calling it a side hustle. Like it's like, it's, 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 it's like, could be like, actually it could be the hustle that eclipses your initial hustle. And, mm-hmm. um, but there's something that I think is really wonderful about working for a company and having colleagues and not just not only being an independent contractor. That's why I still work for public media. Like I, I believe in these, you know, longtime community institutions that have, you know, that people trust and rely on. So figuring out that model um, of how much of this and how much of that um, to build something that's, that's financially viable is um, like, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's like a, it's, it's, it's an iterative process. I'm sure mm-hmm. you're, <laughs> yes. you're discovering. Yeah. I, I think that's where the media is. I mean, my, I'm not a professional journalist you, like you guys are, but like, I think that's where media is headed because you can just see kind of the, the decentralization, if you will, even with things like crypto and whatnot, that like I can fund if I support another person's like podcast or venture through a Patreon or a subscription, that's like you said, an alternative way of funding uh, new media, right? So I think you'll see a lot more 
things even possible. Like, you know, I don't know how Mountain State Spotlight, I don't know their exact funding model, but I think, like you're right, I think if, if you play around with how we can pull it off, people want local journalism. It's just hard for local journalists probably to get paid, like you said, what they're worth on an ad-based model when everything's based on TV. I think as we break away from that, and I can almost support causes I believe in a little bit more directly, you might see a return to more, you know, local journalism, local media, if you will, because it's financially possible for them to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's at least a one optimistic, I think, application, if you will, like this, the whole like crypto, like DeFi kind of pay, pay for, you know, almost like instantaneous back and forth of content type thing that, you know, possibly could lead to good, you know, authentic storytelling. I also just want to do a shout out for spending your young adulthood in a place that's not super crazy expensive because um, like (laughs) it's, you know, Mm. I I made a lot of money, more money when I left West Virginia, but like, holy moly, you cannot believe the housing prices so it's like every every month whole the numbers they're just it's so it's i think it's like you know when you have lower costs you can take more risks um so i think that's also something that west virginians uh forget to be really excited about you know Mm -hmm. like Uh, if you if you like start you know you could get a storefront for whatever, however many, not that much money. If you were like, let me try this and sign a lease for three months, you know, that's not possible in a lot of places. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Storefront in New York's going to be like $500,000 for (laughs) six month contract. (laughs) Cooper, are you looking to buy or sell a home in Kanawha, Putnam or Cabell counties right now? I'm not, but I might know somebody who is CJ. What should they do? Yeah, so look, this is as easy as it gets. You're going to skip on over to buildingappalachia.com because they are going to be able to help you out if you're looking to buy or sell in Kanawha, Putnam, or Cabell counties. Those guys at Building Appalachia are great. So you just head over to their website, and then there's literally a link. I'm looking at it right now. It says, we buy houses in West Virginia. We sell houses in West Virginia, and you can click the tab, sell a home, buy a home. Easy as that. Easy as that. And then you're going to get a call from those guys. They're going to want to come check the place out. They're going to give you a cash offer. So man, if you need cash trying to sell a property, dude, they, they'll have it to you. And, and, and these guys at Building Appalachia, just uh, they've got it figured out. Jordan and Jacob, we had them on the podcast. You heard their story. You know their mission of trying to make West Virginia a better place to live and work. No hidden fees, no commissions. Call Building Appalachia at 304-881-8487 or go to buildingappalachia.com. The link is in our bio and all of our social media. Get connected with them to buy, sell, or invest in real estate in Southern West Virginia. Well, let's talk about one of your uh, side hustles where you probably sold advertising advertisements to make it happen. But let's talk about the hard things. Your uh-huh. book, yes, <laughs> a little, I'm sure that helps pay the rent every now and then too. <laughs> but uh, what inspired you to write a book, and what is this book about? And maybe how is it different than Death, Sex, and Money? Yeah, well, a couple things. I mean, there's there were a lot of reasons why I wanted to write it. One was there are plenty of like creative reasons. There were also like, can I do this reasons? And then there Mm -hmm. were also like financial reasons. So I'll go one by one. So the creative reasons were, um, you know, I've been making this show for a number of years. And when you make a show about um, talking about hard things like death, sex, and money, people often will ask you, how do you talk about hard things, Anna? How do you get people to open up? You know, those sorts of things. 
And I would, I would answer those questions and it was sort of like trying to describe how your muscles move when you're, you know, I don't know, playing basketball or something, Yeah, muscle memory. but, but I had never like sat down and like watched the tapes kind of, and like tried to actually describe what was happening in interviews. So I sort of thought of it as like a cool, you know, just like intellectual and creative challenge to just try to learn more about what is it actually that I do in interviews and what of what I do in the very artificial environment of a, of a interview, a journalistic interview, how do those, how might that apply to hard conversations in my own personal life, in other people's personal lives? And so that was sort of the, the, um, very beginning idea is like, I want to learn how to describe what I'm doing. And I want to write something that I think could be useful to readers. Um, and you know, in a way I feel like everybody could think a little harder about how to have hard conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then, so that was like the creative thing. I also just was like, you know, we've talked a little bit about ambition. Like I was like, I would like to write a book. <laughs> I would yeah, like yeah, to try yeah, this. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, I've been working in um, like uh, audio formats, you know, my entire career. And so the longest piece of written work I'd done was like my high, my college thesis, my history thesis, which I wrote about the Triangle District in Charleston. Do you know about the Triangle District? It was a uh, black neighborhood that got um, no. sort oh, of wiped like, off the map by urban renewal and interstate, interstate construction yeah, yeah, in yeah. the late sixties and early seventies. Mm-hmm. And so I, I went back to Charleston and like got in the library archives and sort of tried to piece together what exactly happened there and who made which choices and who was trying to block those projects um, and how did that fit into the civil rights movement in West Virginia. So I'd written that. So I knew I could write hundred pages but I hadn't like returned back to um, just like learning to be a, a prose writer. Um, and there's something like, that's kind of like, just like fun about just learning, hearing your own voice as a writer in a way that's very different from what I do Interesting. in, in my podcast. Um, and, and then the financial reason to do it was like book deals you know, you get a nice advance. And so, um, I, I was like, do I, um, can I fit this into my life right now? Like, is it, is it worth doing it right now? And I just sort of decided, I think I can like try to sell a book proposal. I sold it. And then I just had to tell myself, I'm going to miss that first deadline because it's <laughs> it's going to take me a long time to write this. And it did. Um, did but, you miss that first deadline? Oh, I a hundred percent missed okay, that first okay, deadline gotcha. because I was actually <laughs> pregnant with my second child. I was like, mm, I might have a baby coming the month that this first deadline is due. So I've, been, <laughs> I've been napping some uh, while watching the <laughs> British Bake Off show. Um, and, and so uh, luckily they were fine with that. And so then it came out. Um, then the publisher actually delayed it a little bit because of pandemic stuff. So it came out in May of 2021 um, at a time when there were a lot of hard things that a lot of people were, were struggling to talk about. So, um, so yeah, so those were the myriad of reasons that I took it on. It was very hard. It was a very long project. Um, I was not used to that kind of long-term project after you probably relate to this, like, you know, you get fed by like meeting deadlines and moving to the next thing. Yep. So this was not that, um, this took a long time, <laughs> Yeah. <I can laughs> but, 
but I feel it feels amazing to have be able to hold something and to share something with, you know, I, I sent copies to like my very first editors who I worked with at West Virginia Public Radio, like just to be able to, I don't know, it's like cool. It's a, it's a cool, it was a cool milestone for me in my career to be able to say like, I see all you people who've helped me become the journalist that I am. And, mm-hmm. and I'm so, so great to be able to like share this like thing you can hold in your hands yeah, with them it. and say, thank you. Yeah. I thought another thing cool that you just said about your voice. It's like you, you reading it, the words, it's kind of like the voice in your head, but for everybody else that's ever heard you on death, sex and money, reading the book, they're probably you're narrating it to them in their own head. You know, it's kind yeah. of, that's cool. That's, yeah. That's I mean, unique. doing the audio book was also fun. It was like, yeah. that was a weird, very different form of audio work because I was just like, you know, the memoir parts of the book have some very personal details in my life that I, in in moments of hardship, and I'm like reading it in a studio all by myself. And this like (laughs) guy in New York is like, you said that instead of the on page 40, you want to take that again? (laughs) It's like, like, damn it, I was good. I had a moment. I'm telling you all my secrets, you know? (laughs) Oh, that's crazy. That's funny. Well, if every time I listen I listen back to my voice. I'm like, damn, I have a country accent. I didn't realize I had such a country accent, which, hey, can't, I can't hide where you're from. Can't I, hide from. I've lost mine a little bit. It comes out, I think if we were having beers, you would hear it more and more as <laughs> the conversation words. went on. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, it comes back. Yeah. Love well, it. Good deal. Love it. Well, Anna, well, thank you very much Yeah, sure. for jumping on and talking about the good old days in West Virginia and the good days that you're still living doing everything that you're doing so uh you got a lot on your plate but congratulations for all of your success we're proud to call you a west virginian and anytime you want to jump back on with us please <laughs> well you always have an open invitation on the mountain media podcast but thanks again for oh. jumping on and, and good luck to you thank you for doing this with me and um please keep in touch All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Hey, Anna, thank you so much for jumping on with us to talk about your upbringing in Charleston, your job at West Virginia Public Radio, and ultimately how you found your way into the podcast realm and sitting down with a couple of fools like us talking about (laughs) our home state of West Virginia. We really thoroughly enjoyed that conversation, and we will definitely be in touch best of luck to you. Everybody else, thank you for tuning in as always. Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little bit about maybe yourselves and how you can talk a little bit about uh, the hard things with your significant other or your children or how maybe or maybe you think about death a little differently than you did before this episode. I, I don't know. You know, there are just so many great conversations to be had about those awkward topics that sometimes we get into uh, too often we don't you know not just here on our platform but just in life and if you listen to death sex and money that's kind of how anna starts every episode this is death sex and money the things that are hard it's about the things that are hard to talk about but the things that we need to talk more about and that just hits home and is so so true so hopefully everybody has something to take away from this episode and use it in your life and maybe it'll just make you a better person and you can live a little little more happily than you were doing yesterday all right i'm done being uh you know a little you know philosophical there we'll move on but thank you as always for tuning in and we'll be back again next week okay guys thank you we'll talk soon peace